Hey neighbors, welcome to our haunted home where we discuss true crime, the paranormal, and all things generally creepy. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Gracie. And we're your spooky neighbors. Hi guys. It's been a ride. It has been a ride. We're we're new here. This is our first episode, but it's already been a ride. This feels like two truths and a lie stuff because (laughs) the lie here is that this is not our first episode. (laughs) It's true. It's It's been a very... It's truly a lie. (laughs) We had six recordings done. And ready to go. In the bank. That we, we had were them saving in the bank. for October because mm-hmm. we're going to be really busy then with Halloween and stuff starting yoga teacher training. So we just thought that we would get ahead of the game. But the truth is that it's been a very long journey. So we planned this podcast since March. And we've been working on production for a few months now. And then it was just last week our external hard drive just went kaput. The long story short is that the program that we have is non-destructive to audio, and that allows us to edit in sessions. The sessions that we had were backed up, but it didn't save any of the actual audio recordings. So basically, imagine slicing a pizza, but it turns out that there's no pizza. It's gone, and the box holding the pizza has been so far destroyed that the pizza is severely damaged. You don't even know if it's pizza at this point or just an abomination. You know it's bad, but then you find out that raccoons got to it and ate a few slices. Yeah, yeah. So then you call the pizza recovery specialist and they say, well, we can get you some more pizza, but it's going to be $2,000. We can get your pizza back. Sure. We can get some of your pizza back. Just partial partial pizza. Partial pizza. But, you know, the raccoons, they they got to a lot. There's maybe... It might not even be the slice you wanted. <laughs> There's probably some raccoon bites out of it, but you can you can have some of it. <laughs> what the raccoons didn't eat. <laughs> and then the raccoons are chittering and laughing in the background, and you and your friend just want some fucking pizza. <laughs> so uh, what we're saying is that we had to remake all the pizza from scratch. But now we have just enough to go around, and it's a party. And we got a lot better at making pizza in the meantime. I sure hope so. (laughs) And maybe saving them. (laughs) (laughs) I worked at so many pizza places. (laughs) It's it's our time to shine, baby. Oh, well, here we are, and I'm ready for it. It brings us to our first episode, which is Hell's Bridge, and it has been hell. The story is pretty fitting. Especially recording on a day like this where it's like 100% humidity and like 90 degrees. We dying. Yeah, we're in. So we're actually neighbors as well. Just, you know, your spooky neighbors. I live upstairs and this is where we record. And it's fucking Mm -hmm. awesome. We have blocked out all the windows with a bunch of heavy quilts to give you the best quality sound. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, we have, um, I froze some ice packs of water that we're just holding, just clutching like a little baby right now. Yep. I got my ice ice baby. (laughs) (laughs) Keeping me as cool as possible for this story of Hell's Bridge. It's time. We're going to take it all the way back to 1843. 
a construction engineer named Sam Latham successfully completed the construction on the dam of the Rogue River. And by the fall of 1844, he had a sawmill in operation. And by the following year, his little mill was the center of a small hamlet of several shanties, one log cabin, and four farmhouses. Frame houses, rather. As it was located almost entirely on land owned or sold by Smith Lapham, the settlement became known as Laphamville. Mm-hmm. Laphamville. Ain't that nice? <laughs> Laphamville. Laphamville. Well, the mill was success was a success, and eventually there was enough settlers to start a general store in 1848. Other settlers arrived each year, and soon Laphamville became a thriving little community. Yay! Yay, Laphamville! <laughs> in 1858, the Grand Rapids and Indiana Railroad Company began construction on the railway from Grand Rapids through Laphamville to Cedar Springs. When grading for the railroad was approaching, the officials of the railroad began to urge the citizens of Laphamville to adopt a shorter and less awkward name. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> right, because phonetically, uh, we're looking at this right now, and it looks like Laphamville. Yeah, maybe maybe it was like Laphamville. Laughableville. Laughable. Lapham. Lapham. Laphamville. I'm I'm laughing. <laughs> Uh, so then the pastor of Lapham Baptist Church said, I have an idea. We should call it Rockford. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> and thus, Rockford was born. <laughs> Thank you. Finally. <laughs> uh, it was a part of Algoma Township, and this is where our story takes place. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad they switched it because, I don't know, if maybe Could Rockford you- wouldn't have been so bougie. If it was still... Laphamville? La- Laphamville. Could, yeah, could you imagine just like, hey guys, we're going to Laphamville? La- I'm Laphamville. We're La- going to go to some of the little stores. Like, they're so cute, the cute in Laphamville. Little oh my in gosh. Laphamville. <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face. I know, it's really hard. Rockford sounds just very... Rockford's classy. And, yes, yeah. Clean and classy and just very solid like a rock. Exactly. They got it going. They do. So in the mid-1800s, when the towns began to emerge in the wooded area of Michigan, children went missing. It left the unprovisioned towns in shambles. All work and expansion stopped, and the townsfolk turned to their church to find comfort and answers. In attendance was a mysterious man by the name of Elias Frisk. He was a kind older gentleman with a fondness for children and asked to preach that day in church. So he stepped up onto his soapbox and started preaching about hellfire and brimstone and all the demons surrounding the town. He demanded the congregation's prayers for the demons would return and take more children into the dark abyss. The townspeople had a renewed sense of purpose and felt a lot more hopeful after hearing Elias preach and organized a search party to find the children and to punish the dark souls that took them. The townspeople believed Elias was too old and frail to join the search. Plus, he seemed like a legitimately trustworthy person, so they asked him to watch the town's remaining children. Hmm, that's a good idea. That's always a good idea, isn't yeah. it? Here, stranger, watch all our kids. It's fine. Here you go. It's totally fine. Thanks. Okay, of thanks, course. old man. Thank you so much for your help. You are so sweet. You're really wow. convincing wow. In, in that preach, man. Have our kids. So Elias agreed and told the search party that he would take the children on a picnic near the Rogue River. That way the children would be spared from the horror in case they came back with the bodies of the dead kids. Oh, 
So Elias had a thought. He was like, hmm, I'm going to tie a rope around each children's risk. So, you know, they don't get lost in the woods. Child leash? Yeah. So he Old created yeah, a, a child leash, a chain of child leeches. Leeches? So, Leash. <laughs> leeches. <laughs> Child leeches. <laughs> Child leeches. Dude, this guy is a leech, though. So he formed a human chain with a rope around each of their waists. Wrists? Waist? Something Waists. like that. Waists. Yeah. So he tied them all up on, like, a whole chain of kids. Whole chain of kids on a leash. Mm-hmm. And he told the townspeople that it was to ensure that no children would go missing. He promised. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the children said the fa- said their farewells to their parents, and the parents are like, "Okay, bye, bye," and headed off in the opposite direction. Little did they know. <laughs> Elias began their march into the woods, and it was a long walk to the river. And eventually, they got tired. They asked Elias if they could stop and take a break, but he harshly tugged on the rope to lead them further into the woods. They begged him to stop, but he kept dragging them farther along. Soon the children became aware of a repulsive, rotting stench. Then he pushed the children against a tree and tethered them with the rope that he led them with. While doing this, he shuffled over a pile of leaves and uncovered the source of the smell. The missing children, who were skinned and beginning to rot. Oh, shit. (laughs) Uh, wow, 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 wow. One by one, Elias slaughtered each of the children, forcing them to watch each cut, hear each bone break. The children screamed and cried for help, and the search party was miles away and far out of hearing distance. After this murderous rampage, he threw their dead bodies into the Rogue River, and then a realization sank into him, and he realized what he had done. He knew he couldn't stay in town, and he decided to escape, so he fled farther into the woods. About this time, the townspeople were returning back to town. It was dark, and they noticed that Elias had not returned with their children. This is when they realized that they had made a terrible mistake. Of course they did. Yes, this was all a part of his plan. So they rushed into the woods and quickly found the mutilated bodies of their children in the icy cold waters beneath the bridge. While most of the townspeople were overcome with grief and shock, one man, however, noticed a muddy pair of footprints leading further into the woods, and he followed them. After a short search, he found Elias Frisk, covered in blood, claiming that the devil made him do it. The young man dragged Elias back to the bridge, while Elias screamed about how the demons took over him and then he deserved pity. The man who apprehended Elias dragged him back to the bridge and simply responded, Hang that son bitch. Hang that son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. Mm, that is some justice. Mm-hmm. The townspeople took up the same rope that Elias used to tie up the children and hung him off of the bridge. That's fucking justice, my friends. Absolutely. <sighs> wow. Uh, however, after Elias's body stopped twitching, it is said that the waters underneath him swelled and the rope snapped and his body was swept away down the river, never to be recovered. The bridge that Elias hung from is now known as Hell's Bridge. Wow, the way that you describe that, like the water swelled and just kind of swirled with that snap of aerobic, kind of sounds like a toilet. He was just like getting flushed <laughs> down like hell's drain. Bye, bitch. Down the drain you, you go are to the waters of hell. flushed down to hell, down the toilet with your shit. <laughs> 
Satan's shithole. <laughs> Satan's shithole. It's just like blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the sacrifice. And you're coming with me now. That's <laughs> where you belong. <laughs> oh my gosh but it's like wow what a story i mean like i grew up in this area and everybody's heard about hell's bridge but i've never heard that story before this is i, I actually it. never heard about hell's bridge in terms of local legends in michigan until we started researching stories and i was like oh, I where the this. fuck is this hell's bridge that's gotta be you know super east or super north we're somewhere, but it's just no. It's like it's twenty five minutes, mm-hmm. 25, 30 minutes away. Yep. Wow. Pretty close. Pretty close by. I know. So since then, um, it has become the source of spooky tales, obviously. And there have been some sightings. There's been some hauntings and some experiences that we're going to share with y'all. So most people who believe in the legend say that the area is infested with the manifestations of evil spirits that drove Frisk mad. Right? So like, oh, the demons made me do it. Mm, yeah. Which it's I'm sure, not I'm admissible. I'm so sure they did. Yeah. Not admissible in townspeople court because hang that son bitch. Yeah. Hang that yeah. son of a Sorry bitch. if the demons made you do it, but you still, like, just murdered all of our children, so. It's just, like, the old-timey excuse for murder. Mm, yeah. No, I, probably still a new-timey one, too. I imagine. I feel like, yes. I imagine? I, yes, I do feel like it's more prevalent in that time because it's, like, either you're a witch or a demon or, you know, you just don't really know. It's, like, God or nothing. Mm, yeah. There's not a lot of science. No. Nope. In, instead, in these days, you could just say something like, I can't remember. What, what did I do? <laughs> oh. I don't know what I did. Play oh. dumb. Yeah. That's... Just play psychology and, you know, modern science to your advantage. Gracie getting away with murder over here. So people have heard footsteps coming across the bridge when nobody's on it. There have also been reports of people seeing movement out of the corner of their eye, hearing unexplained rustling or splashing near the bridges. Hmm. While walking on the bridge and surrounding areas, you can hear the voices of children and deep laughter, sometimes even singing. But most people claim to hear the disembodied screams piercing through the night, as well as a pair of glowing red eyes. Oh. They say that the water is haunted by the murdered children floating in the water. Other times, if you peer into the watery depths, you can see their faces. <laughs> and No, thank you. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that scene from Lord of the Rings when they come upon the dead marshes. And then Smeagol's like... Don't follow the lights. <laughs> or you'll go down to light little candles of your own. And then he, like, falls into this pit full of, like, marshy dead ghosts that are just, like, dragging him down. <laughs> so some have even claimed that hands have reached out from the water and tried to pull them across the bridge. Like, what, what? Yeah, yeah. You scared of water what? now? What if a hand comes, like, plunging up at you? Dude, uh... Um, People have been chased by something unseen, you know? Things that are super creep. Among other things that are seen are bizarre lights that show up in pictures taken with digital cameras. 
Orbs appearing in photos and videos seem to be one of the most widely present phenomena reported. And all of these phenomena happen to be late at night and mostly around midnight, which is also the time when when the locals say to hang around the bridge and you can hear the devil laughing. Ha. 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 No, no, no. No, no. (laughs) But wait, there's even more ominous phenomena. Great. There was a story uh, that we found, and there's a couple that went to Hell's Bridge. And while walking closer to the location, they smelled sulfur. You know, like rotten eggs, farts. The girl turned around to say something to her boyfriend when she saw a strange and shadowy figure at the end of the bridge. Not knowing what it was, she screamed, and her boyfriend whirled around and described this figure as a being which appeared to be an old man. But his eyes were burning red, and he saw rope hanging from the end of the bridge. Wow. It's like, did he come back up from that rope? Yeah. To come and haunt them? It's like a reenactment of, like, that scene. Yeah. And they just happen to see it, like, from the smell of, like, the rotten earth coming up like a gigantic fart from hell. (laughs) God, I hate smelly old man farts. I know. They're the worst. Ugh. (laughs) (laughs) And then you see that smelly old man, and you want to send him back to hell. So, goodbye, Elias Frisk. Head on back now. Or you just dip the fuck out of there. Yeah, get home. the fuck out of there real quick. That, that's personally what I would do. I wouldn't, like, I mean. I'd be uh, like, thanks mm. for the day. I gotta go bye. <laughs> <laughs> gotta go bye. <laughs> so, Grace, uh, you and Chris went to Hellsbridge. Is that right? Yes, we did. Um, Tell me about what you saw. I know that I should probably start with that it was a dark and stormy night, but it was actually a bright and sunny day just in... Midsummer. Oh, nice. Midsummer. <laughs> if you haven't seen that movie, go watch it. It's it's a wild experience. Wow, that's that's the best way to describe it. It's mm-hmm. wild. So it was a bright and sunny afternoon in the summertime, and there was an older couple that was out on their kayak smoking cigarettes, and they were over by Hell's Bridge, which is dilapidated. It's rusted. It's kind of tilting over on its side. It's just a metal footbridge. It has this little concrete cement block foundation Mm -hmm. that was probably pulled up from something else at some point in time, maybe like a storm or people just always going by that bridge and fucking with it. Interesting. I've seen pictures on uh, news sources of like a skull that was on the tree. And that was when the tree was still rooted in the ground. But now the tree is completely uprooted and Mm. there is a pentagram that's painted on it in red. That's super sus. Yes. And the couple that was kayaking, they were saying that, yeah, that was the tree that he tied the children to. Mm. I mean, it would make sense in the story. It would. And I love how these random kayakers like knew all that. Yeah. I think that's just amazing to show how a local legend can go. Yeah. Upon investigation of the footbridge, we found that the legendary bridge that allegedly hung Elias Frisk is actually a small metal footbridge that crosses into a creek that feeds into the Rogue River, not the actual river itself as stated in legend. As of 2021, the bridge has been uprooted from the ground and tilted slightly to its side, just very hard to walk across, and it's barely five feet from the bottom of the creek. So basically, it's over water just enough to levy yourself into a kayak as the 
couple was doing in their kayaks. Oh, that's they were like getting into the water on from, the, from, from the, bridge. the bridge. Yeah, you could easily launch yourself off the bridge. It that, almost looks like a kayak launch. That so, doesn't sound like a good idea at all, if well, you ask me. <laughs> it's also like it's just one of those things where I don't think that that was high enough to hang someone from, unless I don't know erosion over time where yeah, because if it's kind of rose. Possibly. Well, that and honestly, like if it's a metal bridge at that time, like it was probably originally made of stone and then it broke down and they probably rebuilt it. That's a possibility. Yeah, because like metal at that point was really hard to come by at such an early town. Like, yeah, yeah, that would make sense because it was probably put in for hunters or something like right. that because like looks, that makes more sense it and looks then like, like it was zoned out for residential hunting use uh just recreation it looks like a recreational area yeah pretty much yeah and then from there it probably like eroded again because that's what happens near water you know yeah um so i think that there is a author that we both really really enjoy named nicole bray oh nicole bray we love you the author of ghosts of grand rapids she's amazing we'll talk about her a lot in yeah. our episodes because yeah. she's... Do you want to ta- yeah, since you read that book, do you want to talk about what she found? <laughs> so our beloved Nicole Bray, um, she really dug into... I mean, she she's an awesome investigator and she like digs deep and it's awesome. Nicole, will you be on our podcast? <laughs> That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. We would love that. This so, is a proposal. Yeah, it's Nicole, a proposal. Nicole. Head us up. Will you be on our podcast join us for our spooky adventures please (laughs) so she dug into the name elias frisk and she didn't find any records or land deeds but she was able to confirm the last name of a frisk family who moved to the area around 1910 but not the mid 1800s like the legend states So she expanded the search looking for last names and still came up empty-handed, believing the storytellers had the correct last name but the incorrect first name. Um, So she contacted the Algoma Township Historical Society and found a woman named Julie Sojourn, Julie Sojourn, who married into one of the original families that settled into the area, which would make her first cousin of the Frisk family. Julie confirmed that Elias never existed nor had any member of the Frisk family committed a murder of any kind. So, I but mean... What was one of the, that's one of those things, if it's a legend, like, what did the Frisk family do? For someone to just say, like, oh, yeah, it was Elias Frisk. Yeah. That's off of a street called Frisk, too. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, honestly, mm. and if the family moved in, mm. like, post-legend era, like, I don't... Yeah, it's worth looking into for sure. But no connection to that family. Yeah, so it would be interesting to find out, like, when that street was named and by who, for what reason. Taking it further. Mm Mm-hmm. There's probably no records of that. I don't don't know. I mean, we looked at... Fucking bet. We've looked into some, like, old-ass 1800s records, and there is, like, there are a few details. There are some details, but there are far and few between. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there have also been some paranormal investigations. While there are no historical records of mass disappearances or murder of town's children, there are a high amount of paranormal activity at Hell's Bridge, which has been confirmed with the local paranormal investigators. So, an experience from a woman named Jen posted on Ghosts of America, she says, quote, I run a paranormal group with a friend, and two of us had our first outing there about a year ago. 
We've had a total of about four investigations there. We've caught a lot of EVPs on our digital recorders, several being children's voices, and the last time we went, it was just the two of us again. We decided to split up, and I went to the far side of the bridge, and she took the near side. On my side, things were not terribly active. My camcorder's battery did get drained. It had been full at 156 minutes recently charged. The second I took it out, it drained. I caught several EVPs, but there was nothing compared to what my friend caught. She heard something splashing in the water and caught a high-pitched scream and a man saying, yo, on her voice recorder. (laughs) Yeah. She also took several pictures in which there is a thick black mass hovering over the ground and it moved. Whoa. Whoa. Ooh, that's spooky. Um, Yeah, so Jen and her friend tried to recreate those pictures, but they could not. Uh, They did, however, upload a photo from her camera that shows two distinct figures from beyond the trees. One figure appeared to be male and the other female. Yeah, I was very curious when I saw those pictures. Because, of course, I looked into, like, the subreddits and I looked into community forums and just try to get, like, a general consensus of what everybody sees. And some people see, like, leaves and branches. Other people see actual figures. So we are curious to hear about what you guys see in these photos that we will post to Instagram. Yes. Um, they sound super spooky. And it's really interesting that, like, these weird phenomena happen, like – hey, I have a full charge on this thing. And it just like, oh, battery's just like, no, I'm good. Yeah. Like some kind of interventional spirit is just like. Those things, when you're in an area that shouldn't have a lot of service, you would think that you're conserving your battery a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And it's just like. I mean, I know it's just an EVP recorder, but just like with any sort of technology like that. Yeah, no, something is there. And it's just like, actually, no. (laughs) We're Mm -hmm. saying no. No to that. So a few more Grand Rapids Paranormal Investigations took place. Um, There's a group called the Grand Rapids Paranormal Investigation, and they began conducting searches at Hell's Bridge in the summer of 2009. The two co-founding women of GRPI got there and noticed how tranquil and pretty the area was. They waited for a few hours for sun to set while doing their setup, and they canvassed the area and found nothing really out of the ordinary. But once night fell, it was a totally different story. They managed to stay for a few hours, but once they heard voices coming towards them from the trail leading to the bridge, they found there was no one there. And they booked it. So once they got home, they reviewed their evidence, only to find some really disturbing EVPs on their recordings. One of them was a little girl's voice saying, This is mine. (laughs) Mine, mine, it's all mine, precious. It's all mine, precious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, while sitting by a near tree on the bridge uh, the recorder was rolling as they talked and their voices were blotted out and the little girl's voice came through loud and clear interesting huh Hmm. so in evidence review on another camcorder one of them took off their hoodie which she had been wearing throughout the day and through the entire investigation she discovered a distinct fingerprint like bruise on her right forearm She said no one had grabbed her at all that day, and there was no puncture wounds to suggest that it was insect bites, and she hadn't grabbed her arm there either. Even if she had, the fingerprints would have been on the opposite direction. So it definitely looked like somebody had grabbed her from behind. Whoa. Like, strong enough to leave bruises. That's that's intense. There's a picture somewhere, and I'll grab it. (gasps) 
Yes. Yeah, it's crazy. We're like, going to post all the pictures about this stuff, guys. Oh, yes. We will dig and we will post. <laughs> so the Grand Rapids Paranormal Investigators have collected various EVPs, video, photographic evidence, and they've all had personal experiences ranging from hearing splashes in the water right next to them to having fully charged batteries depleted instantaneously with an EVP saying, yes. After they asked the question, is there an entity that made the battery drain? Hmm, that's very specific. It is very specific. It's one of those things where you always question, what are the odds of things happening, possibly? Like hard drive failure. Like asking a ghost <laughs> if they drained a battery. Did you what drain are my the battery? Odds? Yes. Some things are way beyond coincidence. You know, yeah. Some things just happen. It really, really just can't go on. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit more from Ghosts of Grand Rapids by, you know, our favorite author, Nicole Bray. And I'm going to give it to Gracie to tell us all about what there is to know. Yes, we are crossing over that bridge, that threshold over onto the true crime side. If the urban legend of Hell's Bridge is actually confirmed to be just that, a legend, then how might we explain the undoubtedly chilling findings from the paranormal investigators? One theory could be the unusually high level of tragedy surrounding the small area of Algoma Township. To name a few, a gentleman who lived near Pine Island Drive and Rector Street committed suicide. Oh. Around the same intersection, a man killed his child, then himself. Woof. Woof. Just south, another murder-suicide occurred. Oh my gosh. This is stacking up. It's, it's going higher. Mm-hmm. On Algoma Drive, just north of 13 Mile Road, a twin brother killed his sister. A 28-year-old hung himself in a barn. Wow. Um, that's a lot. And a, tw- a, a twin killing? A twin killing. Oh, my gosh. We're going to have to, like, dig and cover into that. And, yeah. I wonder if this is something that we could find for a later episode. I will check tomorrow. That is really interesting. Oh, wow. That's that's a lot of stuff. Stay tuned for a future episode because if that sounds interesting to you guys and you want to hear more about that, let us know. Yeah. We, yeah, we, I'm curious. A twin killing a twin. Like, that's a telepathic, I mean, you have a connection to your twin. Right. Here is the really interesting thing, though. While looking at a map, they discovered that each of these tragedies took place within a two-mile radius that also encompassed Hell's Bridge and the Rogue River. Yeah, that's not a that's not a very highly populated area, I might know, which I I grew up like right there. That's that's where I grew up. And it's not a highly dense population. Like a big city, I could imagine a lot of tragedies going down in a two mile radius, but not out there. Not out there. It's like suburban, probably like earlier days it was a bit more rural even. So It felt rural when we drove out to there, honestly. And I had friends that live out there too, so yeah. Yeah, it's it's not, like, a densely populated area. So that is, like, a really high number of tragedies. Yes, and I'm so fucking intrigued by mapping and analysis. So the rest of the reading was just incredible. While working with Julie Sojourn of the Algoma Township Committee, Nicole discovered that there were child abductions and murders that took place within Algoma's history. Mm-hmm. On Saturday, July 16, 1966, 13-year-old Laura... Joe Sutliff was abducted by knife point in front of her house. Even after countless hours of searching, she remained missing for 15 months. In another case, in September 1967, 
Seven-year-old Sonia Santa Cruz had returned to Stocking Elementary School to retrieve a book she forgot earlier in the day. On her way home, she disappeared. Weeks later, two horseback riders near Wayland came across her tiny body half-buried in a shallow grave. Oh, no. Upon further investigation, police discovered a painter's estimate book that had inadvertently been buried with Sonia's school papers under her remains. The book led them to 28-year-old Theodore Glenn Williams, a local house painter. Hmm. Upon arrest, Williams asked the police what took them so long. Wow, rude. The Santa Cruz family was horrified. Williams was considered a family friend and had actually just babysat for Sonia's siblings while her mother helped the community search for the missing child. He further shocked authorities when he confessed that he also got the girl from Sparta. On October 15, 1967, he led them to Laura Jo Sutliff's body, which had been thrown into a shallow grave two miles northwest of White Cloud. Oh my gosh. Williams was found guilty of both rape and murder. Uh, I hate it. I hate I it hate so it. much. I hate it. Yep. Oh, <laughs> oh, what a monster. I, However, before he was sentenced, the conviction was overturned. He was designated a criminal sexual psychopath and committed indefinitely to Ionia State Hospital. The law required that he be held until he was no longer a menace to society. So this guy ended up spending over 45 years of his life in mental institutions. The psychopath statute was repealed in 1968, but he stayed confined until 1973 when he and 1,200 others were freed. Yikes, that's not okay. That's really not okay. So let's just, like, release dangerous criminals to society. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because you know what? He was out for three months before Allegan prosecutors charged him with rape and murder once again. No, 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 no. Guys, that's what happens. Uh, yeah yeah i know uh-huh. so okay. this time he pleaded guilty to second degree murder and received a life sentence the state supreme court however tossed out this conviction as well and ordered his confinement under the defunct psychopath statute despite his claims that he is not the same person as he was in the 1960s and the fact that he is as of now not convicted of a single crime the federal appeals court has repeatedly denied his freedom Stating that he is a quote-unquote mental abnormality that creates a likelihood of future violent conduct. Okay, yeah, unquote. because you let him go once and he did it again, so you don't make the same mistake twice. I'm really glad they learned. The- yeah, the first time was like a slap on the wrist and then they realized, oh my gosh, wow, we made a terrible mistake. Rape and murder? Should we let him go? Yeah, okay, let's go. let him go. No. You know, maybe maybe he's different this time. No. They always say that they're different, but they're really not. One time. Like, you know, Elias Frisk, hang that son of a bitch. Yeah. I mean, hang that son of a bitch. We don't you hang keep... people anymore, but still. No, no, no. no, no, that... no they're not allowed in society. We're done. <laughs> you do it once, we're done. <laughs> Sorry. Can't. Can't have you back. So then I just have uh, another. It, this one's an old timey crime. Ooh, I love old timey crimes. Yes. On the chilly morning of February 28, 1861, Daniel Barber, a tax collector, kissed his wife goodbye and set out for work. He was making his way downtown, walking fast to Grand Rapids. (laughs) (laughs) Making my way downtown. 
<laughs> Walking fast, bases pass, and I'm homebound. Do, 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 do. <laughs> and, he, and he had to turn over the $600 that he had collected to the county treasurer. So for more contacts, $600 back in the 1860s is worth nearly $20,000 today. Ooh, that's Pinkies a lot. Pinky's up $20,000. $20,000. William Kingen, another local man, accompanied him so he could break a $50 gold piece and pay his taxes. And together they set off. And can we guess what happens next? What does he, what does happen with all of that money and two men on a path alone in the snow? Three hours later, men on sleighs came across the lifeless body of Barber on Reynolds Hill. The second hill between Laughamville, (laughs) once previously Laughamville, (laughs) and Plainfield. And he had a two-inch long gash behind his right ear where brain matter was protruding. Oh, yuck. He had been struck in the head eight times with what appeared to be an axe. Eight times. Eight times. And several men began to search the area for a weapon. They found this axe embedded in the snow approximately 50 yards from the path. The head of the axe was discolored by blood and had pieces of hair stuck to it. Oh my goodness. Several people had witnessed Barbara and Kingen walking down the sleigh path earlier that morning and Kingen had been seen carrying the axe. We have a victim. We have a murderer. We have a weapon. In the snow... Eight times. And I feel like it's highlighted out in the snow. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's just like sticking out like a sore thumb. There's blood right blood. against white. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's, Nothing. It's a, we ha- and we have a crime scene. We have a crime scene, folks. He, yep. And he was immediately arrested. During the trial, Kingen showed great remorse with tears streaming down his face. He confessed to the murder, saying that he had been overcome by a, a spontaneous frenzy of greed. Prior to this point in his life, he had been a gentle, law-abiding citizen. He was given a life sentence and was an apologetic model prisoner up until his death. Oh, hold on. So backing it up, is he claiming the devil made him do it? Greed came over him? Wow. That's a really good connection there. You know, it's like... uh, Yeah, this is in... 1861, which would be right around the time that the legend took place. Yeah. So that's like right around there where it's just like, okay, context of the time maybe, but also like, was there some kind of like driving force that, or impoverished times of need? But then what's going on in the Okay, with the kids, there's, yeah, there's no reason for impoverished times and, you know, extracting to kill kids, but. No, 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 but you are on a path there. You definitely are because it's. Thinking about all these different types of, we'll just call it like sin or, you know, anything associated with what would bring you to hell. Okay, that is a really, really good train of thought. Yeah, so I feel like there there's some kind of connection with like this high number of murders that are around, murder-suicides, rapes, you know, all the true crimes. Plus like this thing that like something came over me and I feel like Frisk was just like a piece of shit if the story is true, but which what it came sounds over- like... Yeah, but know, what came but... over all these other people, though, you know what I mean? It just sounds like, I think that... Well, the one guy was just like, why did it take you so long? I think he had it in him. Oh, yeah, he definitely did. But the ones that were just, like, touched on, like, on the local tragedies Yeah, that like occurred, the twins. Yeah, the twins. That's and really... all the different suicides. Like, what kinds of things were happening in their life? This is just, like, the inner anthropologist yeah. in me that's just wanting to just explore 
what happened? What were you like? What was your life like? Was there right. anything that were just... all of these like were all of these events something that could have been like you know like an energy that like makes that I had a train of thought and it's not going where I wanted it to and I interrupted you and I'm so sorry because that now it's okay. not going anywhere. That's okay. That's how I feel all the time. <laughs> Welcome to my life. <laughs> <laughs> that is just how it goes sometimes. But. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, this area seems to have this kind of like energetic prep, this energy that brings you, I don't know. Sadness, despair. There's like um, sadness and despair in this, I don't know, like more more so here than in other areas. <gasps> we have a thunderstorm. Let's wrap it up on this note. So, yeah, it was a dark and stormy night and you just went to your spooky neighbor's house and listen to a bunch of paranormal and true crime stories yeah. and we have a lot more in store for you thank you for joining us on our dark and spooky night where a storm has just rolled in and we've told you a story of ghosts and true crime murders and some glowing red eyes they're coming at you mm, yes in your dreams sleep well tonight my friends Yes. On that note. (laughs) Sleep well. And also, um, before you go to bed, if you are checking Instagram, if you are on Facebook, if you are anywhere that you listen to your podcast, that you are able. Give us a follow. Anywhere that you listen to podcasts, that you are able to leave a review, that would be so, so wonderful. Um, we have been through hell and back literally today, Hell's Bridge, and now we are back and we will be back next week with a true crime story. And we cannot wait to share with you the Michigan Craigslist killer. Hang on for that one, guys, because it's a doozy. That one's going to be rough and we're going to be here for you. So come on back. Have another list. The the door just opened by itself, guys. We're really scared. Spooked. On on we that note. We say come back to your spooky neighbor's house, but maybe come here and save us. Wow. We're going to batten down the hatches of this spooky house, and we'll be back next week. We <laughs> promise. Maybe. <laughs> Unless we die tonight. Wish us luck. Thank you and good night. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>